0: The Resurrection is the most important event of all history. The fact that Jesus lives sets him apart from any other leader and Christianity apart from any other movement. Our Lord changed the outcome of all who follow him from hopeless to full of hope. On this episode of Groundwork, we want to look at what happened right after the Resurrection and how it affects our lives even to this day. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives, I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney and Scott, we are in part two of our four part series where we focus on the events that happened right after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, You would think that there would be many, many accounts of what happened, but as we found out in the first episode, there are very few.
1: Very few. Nothing at all in Mark, only the great commission uh, in Matthew, other than, again, the immediate aftermath. John gives us the most. We'll be getting to him uh, in uh, future programs. Luke, though, gives us a story. It's on the day of the resurrection. It's the evening of the day, but it's one of the most memorable stories, uh, and it's in Luke 24, and we always refer to it as the road to Emmaus.
0: One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting in Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked. Even when I was a young Christian, Scott, I, I was thinking about how this passage of verses was very interesting and curious to me. Why would Jesus walk alongside them and keep himself from being recognized by them? I really thought about. The show Undercover Boss, oh, where yeah. the CEO is there, but they don't know it because he has on the disguise, but he's the one that's running the company and he's rubbing elbows with those people who are on lower levels.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. He just all of a sudden just walks up. We said that in the previous episode that post-resurrection stories in the Gospels tend to be way less dramatic than you might think. And so Jesus doesn't just sort of fly in or breathe. He just sort of quietly walks next to them. All of a sudden there's a third person walking with them. It's like, oh, well, that's interesting, you know. Every once in a while that happens in a big city. You're walking down the sidewalk. i why is this person walking with me? So they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him immediately. He keeps them um, uh, from seeing them. Some people, by the way, uh, we know the name of Cleo. Some people think this is a married couple. We don't know. Going to Emmaus, but in any event, we know the name of one of them, Cleopas. But they don't recognize him. And you know, Daryl, it's interesting we human beings love stories like this. In classic Greek literature, the myth of Odysseus. And Odysseus is this warrior who's gone away and he travels the world and the gods prevent him from coming home. He finally gets home, but he wants to make sure his wife still loves him, so he disguises himself. Mm -hmm. His babysitter, when he was a little boy, his nurse, uh, bathes his feet, you know, foot-washing ceremony. And while she's talking to Odysseus, she's talking about Odysseus and how much she misses him, and all of a sudden she brushes against a scar on his leg and she remembers that Odysseus had a scar there from a wild boar attack and she knows it's Odysseus. And we love that moment of recognition. You know, it's sort of, those of us who remember the old I Love Lucy show, her husband would never let her get into his musical show. So Lucy would disguise herself and worm her <laughs> way in and everybody waited for that moment when her husband would recognize it and Lucy, you know, what have you done? we love that. those Jolts of recognition. And that's what we get in this story eventually.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too, because as a Christian who walks around every day, there are many times when Jesus is doing things or he's involved in our lives and we don't recognize him. He might be helping us through a coworker or a family member. He might be even helping us through a stranger. He could be very near and we don't recognize him. And the fact that he is low key like that sometimes, it doesn't mean that he's not actively working, but it does mean that he could be present in a different way. And another thing that really th- that sticks out to me in this passage is the questions that mm. he asks. Oh, I love the questions. I wish we could do a study on the questions themselves. Why does an all-knowing God ask questions like that? Why do you think he does ask God?
1: I think it's a, It's ultimately it's going to be his way to uh, teach them, which is what we're going to see coming up next. But by being in the interrogative mood, he kind of gets at what they're thinking about, what they're talking about. And it's interesting to me, Daryl, that I would imagine— I don't know for sure. But I would imagine, you know, Jesus died over Passover weekend in Jerusalem, one of the biggest holidays of all times. Jerusalem was probably packed with people, packed with Jewish people who had come to Jerusalem for the holy festival of Passover. I'll bet there were an awful lot of people who didn't know anything about Jesus, who hadn't heard anything. Sure, there were three people crucified outside the city. Happens all the time. But for these two, for Cleopas and maybe his wife— this was so important, they just assumed everybody knew about it, right? I mean, we, we have that sometimes. When a tragedy happens to me, it's hard for me to believe that everybody doesn't know about it. But of course everybody didn't know about it. So when this person, this stranger, says, oh, what, what, what happened? They're like, where have you been? Everybody's talking about this. Probably an exaggeration, but it shows you how, how in love with Jesus they were, that they think everybody must know about this.
0: Definitely deeply affected about it. I appreciate the fact that we have a caring God who actually wants to listen intently to where we are. When he says, where are you, Adam? He's actually having Adam locate himself. And when he's asking, what's your name or what do you want me to do for you? Whatever questions Jesus is asking, he is trying to help us to understand what we believe so that he can actually come alongside that and encourage us and teach us something deeper. I love a God that tells me, Tell me more. I wanna hear more about what you think and how you feel. Even though it seems that in this situation he's kind of playing dumb, but the fact that he is willing to walk with us on the journey Help us to understand what's going on and and actually give us a perspective that we might not have is something that encourages me about this passage.
1: You mentioned Adam in the garden. I love the comment of a rabbi. Once somebody once asked a rabbi, you know, why did God have to ask Adam where? Didn't God know where Adam was? And the rabbi replied, Oh yeah, God knew. It was Adam who didn't know where he <laughs> exactly. was. Right. Also reminds me of the sort of the classic line. You know, somebody asked a rabbi once, why does a rabbi always answer a question with another question? And the rabbi said, Why shouldn't a rabbi answer? <laughs> question, another question uh, it is a very rabbinic way of teaching right through through the asking of questions so Jesus is trying to unearth what's going on they can't believe he hasn't heard about it and so they're going to go on to tell them about that in just a minute but it is interesting how downcast their faces are uh, Daryl I think we've all walked the road to Emmaus at some point you know you, you just got to get out of Dodge you got to get out of town Jerusalem was a haunted city with all the memories of Jesus. These two just had to get out of Dodge. They had to leave Jerusalem. They had to go to Emmaus to escape because they're so sad. And we're going to see that they're going to express it even more in just a minute of the next segment. But they're downcast. They're sad. They assume the whole world is as upset as they are, which is ridiculous, but it shows how deep their grief is. And it's into that situation that Jesus walks.
0: I love that we serve a God who is willing to journey with us on the road, spiritually speaking, through puzzling and confusing times. And in a minute, we're gonna look more into this passage to see what more God has to teach us there. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family. As a spouse, parent, or even an in-law, join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com.
1: You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose,
0: And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in the passage on the road to Emmaus. We have the disciples here. We have Cleopas and whoever else he's talking to. And we have undercover Jesus. (laughs) And, And I'm loving the fact that this set of passages can help us to understand what's going on. I really wish I could have been on that path to listen in. But since I'm not, we have this scripture here that we can read from chapter 24, verse 19.
1: So uh, Jesus just said, what are you talking about? They said, haven't you heard? You, you know, where you been? And Jesus said, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. And so they say, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it is the third day since all that took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself.
0: Oh man! So in this passage, you got basically the whole gospel in a nutshell mm. of what Luke is trying to get to everyone who reads this gospel. I really wish this was like the abstract that goes before, so you can get like a summary or a synopsis of what the gospel is going to be. But. I think Luke and his, his wisdom empowered by the Spirit put that synopsis at the end. So if you missed it the whole time, here's your chance to understand. This is what the gospel message is so that is correct and that we get an accurate account.
1: And it's interesting, too, Darrell, we mentioned in the previous segment that Luke tells us their faces were downcast. And they were so sad that they assumed everybody was just as sad as they were. But then there's this little line in here. In grammar, it's called the pluperfect. It's it's not just Mm -hmm. a past tense. It's like a past past tense. When in verse 21, they say to Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Had hoped. That is a heartbreaking verb tense. If a verb tense can be heartbreaking, had hoped. In other words, our hopes are dead. It's gone. We had hoped. But now it's all over because... He was killed, and so he can't be the one, although we've got some rumors of angels and visions and so forth, but who could believe it? These two are at the end of their rope. They're the picture of dejection.
0: Yeah, so in the African-American national anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, it says, where hope unborn had died, Hmm. and it seemed that they had a hope that he would be the fulfillment But then when he died, they realized they were broken because they didn't think it could actually happen. They kind of given up on the hope. But what was interesting is that Jesus corrects that and he shows them everything from Moses and all the prophets, all the scriptures concerning himself. And I would love to have heard what happened there. They never tell us what he said. I know the fact that we have the scriptures themselves gives us encouragement there because we could always go back to the old and new Testament to see those scriptures that, concern Christ.
1: It's a great part about Luke 24 here on the road to Emmaus, and then in a passage we'll maybe pick up in a, a future program, too, uh, when Jesus uh, appears to the disciples. What we get at the end of Easter Sunday is Bible study. Isn't that interesting? Bible study. And so these two, uh, Cleopas and the, the other person who thought Jesus was so clueless a minute ago, it's like, <laughs> you haven't heard what happened? Oh, my goodness. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, this guy knows some stuff. <laughs> He's he just walked us through the entire Bible. When it says Moses and all the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament, basically. Yes. That's the Pentateuch, all the prophets. Uh, you can throw in the Psalms and the, and the writings. He walks them through the whole Bible and says how it points to, well, he doesn't say it, but to himself. This had to happen. And so, yeah, indeed, this had to be probably the most amazing Bible teaching ever. and <laughs> We don't get the details. It would kind of makes you a little nuts. But Luke gives us the idea, and it's what we said in the first program, Daryl. Why don't we have more stories about what happened during the 40 days between Easter and Ascension? Because everything we need to know was already taught. Exactly, Jesus already said it all. So now, really, he's just repeating it. He's recapitulating what he had said during the three to five years of his public ministry and connecting the dots. He had to suffer. He had to die. And he had to rise again.
0: And all we need to do is pick it up and reread it and remember and reflect on what Christ has already taught us. And actually, he continues in this section of verses where there's more to the story. And we'd like to pick that up here in verse 28. It says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread.
1: So a great story. Kind of typical, too. You know, they finally recognize him, and then he, poof, he disappears. It's like, isn't that the way that every time you catch a glimpse of Jesus in our lives, it's like, whoop, nope, he's gone again. But in Luke, that rhythm with the bread, take, thank, distribute, right? Yes. Take, thank, distribute. That's always shorthand for the Lord's Supper. We'll even get it at the very end of Luke, right before the shipwreck in Acts. Paul takes, thanks, gives. It wasn't an ordinary meal. It was the Lord's Supper. So they recognize him in the breaking of the bread because that's exactly how Jesus had always done it. And boom, they see him. And in hindsight, they realize, indeed, it had been him all along. And no wonder our hearts were burning. We knew something was up (laughs) because who could teach the Bible like that? Other than Jesus himself. Something had been up even on the road, and now they knew exactly what. They had been walking with Jesus all along. Interestingly, we were told earlier Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem. Yeah. That's a long walk, a couple hours. I think they made it back in record time. I think they sprinted back and probably made it back in half the time it took them to get to Emmaus
0: because they were so excited. Well— Coming up next, we want to talk about why the post-resurrection events are significant today in the lives of believers. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible.
1: I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork, And uh, this final segment of a second episode in a four-part series on the very few stories we have, Daryl, in the New Testament of what Jesus said and did those 40 days he was on earth and before he ascended back to his father. We've been in Luke 24, the famous story of the road to Emmaus. We've just seen this couple, Cleopas, and another person who ended up unbeknownst to them, walking with Jesus, who then eventually opens the scriptures to them and teaches the whole Old Testament, connecting all the dots to Jesus himself. They invite him to stay for dinner. He breaks the bread in his normal way, and they recognize him. He disappears from their sight, and they sprint back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples that they indeed have seen the Lord alive.
0: So the disciples in this passage, they have a physical Jesus walking around with them for a limited time, and they have immediate access to him, but... Jesus has ascended since then but he sent the Holy Spirit not only to inspire the writers to write the New Testament but also to continue the work of discipleship and so the good news is even though Jesus is gone and not physically here we have the rest of the New Testament and historical account to help us to encourage us in how we should live each and every day and so with that in mind I'd like us to look at Hebrews chapter 7 because the first thing we could expect is that we have a high priest who is interested for us in this life right now today and in Hebrews chapter 7 verses 23 to 25 it says now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood therefore he is able to say completely those who come to God through him because he's always lives to intercede for them so he's always living to intercede for us God.
1: Exactly. And again, for those brief 40 days, uh, the disciples had Jesus on earth, but he made it clear, and we saw it in the previous program, Mary Magdalene and John 20 tried to kind of hug him, and he said, no, you can't hold me. You can't hold me back. I can't stay here. I have to ascend to my Father and your Father, my God, your God. And it's from that vantage point at the right hand of God that we now have fellowship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So though we don't really walk The road with him, literally, physically, yeah, we sort of do. We got that Easter hymn, and he walks with me, and he talks with me a long life, you know. So he is with us by the Spirit. But one of the things Jesus made clear when he was still here is that, look, to you, it's going to seem bad that I go away. But it's not. Uh, It's going to be good. It's going to be good for you because I can then pray for you and send you power and send you my spirit. So from his vantage point now at the right hand of the Father, he does walk with us and talk with us uh, every day, just like with Cleopas and uh, the other person. And he's praying for us to help us in our times of trial. He's praying for us to help us resist temptation. He is on our side and with us every day.
0: That's very encouraging for us. No matter where we are in our lives, we're spiritually on the journey with Jesus. Another thing that's really important is that we have a resurrected Savior who has given us the power to put away the misdeeds of the flesh we did before we were saved. And that is picked up in Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above
1: where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with God in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality and impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming, and you used to walk in those ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So, Daryl, Jesus rose again from the dead, That's why he was able to walk on the Emmaus road with Cleopas and his companion. But we now have been raised with him, we now know. And so we walk with him in newness of life already now, even though we're still short of the full glory of the kingdom.
0: That's true, Scott. We did actually a few episodes earlier than this that talked about the cross of Christ and the significance of it. And the last episode of that was the participation in the cross. So he says we have been raised with him. Paul says that right here in Colossians. So we participated in Christ's death and we participated in his resurrection, which means we have an opportunity to use that resurrection power that raised him from the dead to put to death the old misdeeds of the flesh. If I could do that with accountability, if I could do that by Jesus praying, for me, if I could do that by making better choices, I have the responsibility to live as a believer in faith, but I have the power that raised God from the dead to help me with that in my times of weakness.
1: And it really is all about the resurrection, uh, because if we participated in his death with him, we don't want that to be the last word. Uh, Life is the last word. And that's why it's so important the resurrection happened. And, you know, Darrell, we did a series on 1 Corinthians a while back where Paul went through a lot of different questions and controversies. And the last big one he tackled was the fact that some people in Corinth were saying there was no such thing as a resurrection. And Paul said, you can't think that way.
0: Right. And here is this passage in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, picking That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So, you know, you can't have him appear to 500 people and that'd be some mass hallucination scheme. Everybody's not crazy. That, that has to be an accurate account. I mean, they usually only count, ask for two or three witnesses.
1: Yeah, 500. That's a story I'd like to read. But no, the Holy Spirit didn't give us that one. 500 people? When did that happen? But the point being, Paul says it's all about the resurrection. The Gaither song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living. Just because he lives. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we study Jesus' first appearance to the disciples and his later appearance to Thomas, the disciple who doubted the truth of Jesus' resurrection until he could see it for himself. Connect with us now at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit
1: reframeministries.org for more information and find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.